excited to worship with you virtually this morning. As you just saw from Jonathan, the announcements, he was giving you an update. Is there regathering? How our heart is to connect with anyone, whether you are close with God, member of this body, or far. We would love to chat. Two quick things I just want to remind us of this morning. What we all know this weekend represents is Memorial Day weekend. We absolutely want to pause and honor and in a moment pray for those who have made the ultimate sacrifice in giving their life for the privilege that we have to come and even gather as we do today. So to everyone, not only who has done that in their honor, but even active military service, veterans, thank you. That is a debt, that is a grace that's not lost on us. The second practical thing that I want to add to is Jonathan talked about regathering next weekend and our heart for that. For those who are a member or those who are an attendee with us, you should have received this week an email outlining the details and the processes. Embedded in that email is a survey. Will you please take, it'll take you two minutes, the time to go and fill that email out. Whether you plan to join us in person or plan to continue uh, worshiping with us online on the 31st, it will really help us as leaders think through, hey, how do we prepare and how do we plan? It would be a gift and a service to us. But with that, pray with me. I'm excited to jump in what God has in store for us today. Lord, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for the privilege that as we've shared, we are one church and we are scattered across locations, that we come and we gather online. We use tools and technology simply with a heart to say, will you help us to love you more? We want to take that call seriously in our own lives. And Lord, I pray for those who are watching and gathering with us online who they're wrestling with faith. They don't know if they love you. They don't know if they believe in you. They don't know if they want you. Would you change eternities? There's no sermon. There's no gathering. There's no thing that we could do to make that happen. That is you. I thank you, though, knowing that is what you want to do. I thank you, knowing that you have sent your people to serve in that mission, your church. I thank you for that promise. We give you this time and we'd ask that you'd bless it. It's in your name that we pray, amen. Guys, I wanna start by asking you a question, okay? It was a question that was asked to me right after I'd moved from Georgia. So I ended college, went from Georgia to Texas. And after I'd been in Texas for a little bit, specifically I was in Dallas, someone asked me this question. They said, hey John, when you think of church, what do you think of? Like when you hear the word church, when you think of church, what do you think of? And I'm going to give you how I answered, but I'd love for you, even as you sit at home, as you're there with family, start thinking about what do you think of? I started explaining, well, for me, church, man, that was where you went on a Sunday morning. Like I talked about Hillside United Methodist, this place that I grew up, North Georgia. I talked about how we had a um, fellowship hall and we had a sanctuary. How when you go in the sanctuary, it had this blue like velvet carpet. There are these pews with maroon seating and benches. How you'd go and you'd sit with your family. And then every section or so, there was a hymnal, there was a Bible. And then there was always like a piece of paper with these really tiny little pencils for kids like me to where I could doodle and draw I talked about how in high school, I started going to more of that fellowship hall, or there was like a youth group that I'd go to. I would attend that. I'd kind of go to this event. Then I stopped going to church for a while, right? I stopped going. And then into college, I, I didn't really track. I didn't really attend. I did whatever I wanted until there came this point of like brokenness in my life that I found myself back inside of a church service. 
And I described it, it was totally different. There was no sanctuary, there was no fellowship hall. I literally drove in into a parking deck, a multi-level parking deck. I had to walk what felt like a half mile to get there. I showed up, it was a concert service, multiple tiered auditorium, free coffee. Music was louder than I'd ever heard it. And I can remember they sang this song by the band Journey. And I remember thinking, wait, that's Journey, but I'm at church. I can remember thinking that. I can remember leaving Atlanta, going to Dallas, and walking into this church, walking into this building, walking in this facility. I'm describing it this way to the person. And the first time I came into that facility in specific, I was like, man, this feels like a Starbucks meets Ski Lodge meets Tree Fort. That's what this feels like with a bunch of really nice-looking people. And I explained all this to him. And I can remember he shared something with me. And it's something that I never forgot He said, no, 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 no. You just described a place. You you described a sanctuary hall. You described a fellowship hall. You described a pew or a nice backed chair for a concert type experience. You described a place. Then he said, you described an event. You described something that you just go to out of a rhythm and a routine on a Sunday morning where you just show up. Why? You're not really sure. And as he said that, I remember thinking, no, I'm not really sure why but it's because it's something you just do. You described an event. Or, or, it's the facility, it's the facade, it's how it looks. Churches are those buildings that when you drive past, they have funny signs outside where hopefully the pastor had a good joke that he could put in the lettering, and then there's a cross slapped on the front of it. That's what you described. Let me ask you, when I ask you the question, honestly, when you hear the word church, what do you think of? you describe the building, the place, the time of the week? Is the feeling that comes to mind to you, you got to go sit in on a service where hopefully it's engaging enough, but really, majority of the time, you're trying to figure out what are you going to go eat for lunch? Like, is that what you think of? That is what I thought of. I'm so excited, though, because my definition, my understanding of church and what that word even means It has completely changed. The reason I start with this idea is we right now, we're going to start a new series. We're starting a new series called Lessons Learning. Now, now if you've been tracking with us for the past few weeks, here's what you know. You know that we're working our way right now through the book of 2 Timothy. We're going to finish 2 Timothy. I'm excited to keep going in 2 Timothy. But we wanted to take a moment to to pause that and jump into this short mini-series that we're calling Lessons Learning learning. And specifically, here's the context why we want to call that, is things are so constantly changing with regard to COVID-19, pandemic, everything going on in culture and in our world. We wanted to stop and reflect and say, what are some of the lessons we have been learning? It's an obvious play on the language of lessons learned. The reason we're not calling it lessons learned, though, is two things. One, COVID-19 is still taking place. COVID-19, the reality, the pandemic, what becomes of it, you turn on the news, it's still front and center, we're still waiting, that's wonderful. But that's why we're calling it lessons learning. This is not over. The second reason we're calling it lessons learning is because these are things that God, I believe, he's been showing us, and I'm going to show through his word why it's true, he's been showing us, but there's still opportunity for it to sink deeper. And for me, is I've really reflected on COVID-19, the highs and the tremendous lows. The number one lesson that 
that I have been learning, it's been a truth I've known, but man, I'm growing in it, is the lesson of what is the true church. What does that word mean? What are we meant to be? Are are we an event? Are we a time of the week? Are we a facility? Or are we the people of God on mission, online, in person, doesn't matter, will bring you the good news? That is who we are. That is a lesson we are learning. And specifically, what I want to show us today through Scripture I want to show us this principle about the church, this principle that COVID-19, it's it's exposing, it's demonstrating to be true. It's this. The church will overcome. The church will overcome. Will an event every Sunday morning overcome? Not saying that. Will a nice facility overcome? I'm not saying that. I'm saying because the empowerment of God, his people, will overcome. I'm pumped. We're going to be in Matthew 16. So if you're at home, grab a Bible, turn with me to Matthew 16. We're going to look at verses 13 through 18. But really, the part I'm going to focus on is verse 18. That's what we're really going to talk. This passage has a lot that we could unpack. I intentionally am going to leave some of that behind. So I'd encourage you to go study it. You can look at it on your own because I want to focus on this principle that Jesus is saying, he's declaring, the church will overcome. And guys, this message, even if COVID-19 has left you with lost loved ones, lost job, more fear and anxiety than you can remember, this message is meant to be a sense of hope. Is it to take away from the pain and how unemployment is approaching 50 million, the highest rate ever in the history, at least where they've recorded it, in the United States? No. Is it meant to take away the pain that so many food pantries right now are overrun with people requesting food? Is it to take away the pain that people who've lost jobs are filing for unemployment and not receiving the unemployment? No. It's not to diminish or take away any of that. But it is absolutely to say in the midst of it, because of Christ, through his people, the church will overcome. So having turned to Matthew 16, here's a little bit of the context to set this up. The context here is Jesus, he's working his way. It's the latter end of his ministry. Okay, he's preparing himself to go to the cross. He'll die for the sins of the world, you and me. He'll raise from the grave. He'll come back and he'll give this commission where he's going to call people to go, make disciples, baptize, teach them to obey, and I am with you. And you're going to see this explosion of the church in the book of Acts. That's what's coming, but we're not there yet. Right here, what happens is Jesus, he's moving towards the cross, but he starts to really zoom in and he's going to focus on training his disciples. There's this beautiful interaction where Jesus, it's like a funnel as you read this passage. He's going to start by talking about, hey, who do the people say that I am? Who do they say that I am? Do they believe? Do they not believe? Who do they say that I am? And then he's going to zoom in on the disciples. Who do you guys say that I am? And then we're going to zoom in on one disciple, the apostle Peter. And Peter's going to say who he says he is. And then it's out of that profession that we're going to get this principle, this truth, the church will overcome. So grab your Bible. We're verse 13. Verse 13. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, so he's been traveling, he asked his disciples, 
So he's there. He's got his 12 disciples. Who do the people say, oh, excuse me, who do the people say that the Son of Man is? So he's asking, man, what do people believe about me? What are they saying about me? He knows he's going to die. He's asking, hey, guys, what are they talking about me behind my back? That's what he's saying. They said, this is the disciples, some say you're John the Baptist. That was Jesus' faithful cousin, right? He's out in the desert calling the people, repent, be baptized. He's eating locusts, prophet. Others say Elijah, that's an Old Testament prophet. Others, Jeremiah, and one or one of the prophets. Essentially what they're coming is they're not saying, hey, they're not saying you're Savior. They're saying you're a prophetical teacher, which would have meant a God-inspired but teacher, not Savior. That's what the, the people were saying. Now it's going to zoom in on the passage. You've got you to follow that zoom. He said to them, so now he's with the disciples, who do you say I am? There's this moment where right here Peter's going to pick it up. We, we don't know in the text, like, was there that long, awkward silence? Was there that moment where the disciples kind of looked in a room and Judas was like, I'm out on this, right? But everyone else kind of like looked in the room and they thought to themselves, well, I, I kind of want to answer, but I'm not totally sure and I feel like this is not the moment to give the wrong answer. Was that what's taking place? But then you see Peter come forward. Here's what Peter says. Simon Peter replied, You are the Christ. You are the Son of the living God. Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. So what does Jesus do? He zooms in, he gets to the individual level, and Peter says, as there's this waiting moment where everyone else says he's a good teacher and a prophet, Peter looks and he says, you are the Savior, you are the Christ, you are the Son of the living God. It's this beautiful profession of faith. It's this beautiful moment where Peter's realizing he's broken, he's in need of a Savior, and that Savior has come, he's in front of him. What does he say about Peter? He says, blessed are you that you would say this. Is this the something that Peter, because he was a better person, he was able to arrive to, or because he, he, he was doing better actions, or he, he all of a sudden had some intellect that nobody else had? No, if you even know the life of Peter, he says some great things and some dumb things. Like his timing is generally off, but right here, his timing was divine. And that's where Jesus says, no, 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 this has been revealed to you by my Father, this gift of faith, that takes us to this context. So what have we seen? This beautiful profession of faith, that takes us to verse 18 as we talk about the church. Verse 18, and I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I'm going to read that again. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Right after this, Jesus is going to go on. He's going to talk about this leadership role that he's given to Peter and the disciples and the authority and the binding power that they have as leaders in this future church. I want to talk about this verse for a moment because right here you see this promise where he looks at Peter and he says, it's on this rock. I will build my church. and The gates of hell will not prevail against it. This is where we get this principle. The church will overcome. Let me show you that through the passage. It starts out by talking about Peter, and it's saying, hey, 
You are Peter. On this rock, I will build my church. We could go back and we could look at a study of Peter's name. For Jews, when they had a name changed, it really meant something, oftentimes even with spiritual significance. That had happened in Peter's life. Peter's original name, Jesus used it earlier, was Simon Bar Jonah. Why is he then calling him Peter? And then why does he use the word rock? There's a lot of reasons we could talk to, but I'm going to share with you two simply. The first one is this idea of the transformative power of what Jesus Christ does in people's lives. What has Peter just done in the midst of the crowd, in the midst of the disciples, to the one? He says, you are the Christ. You are the son of the living God. You are the one I believe in. You are the one that I'll follow. You are the one that loves me enough. You came to die for me, even though I'm a fool. You are the Christ. That's what he just said. A different man. But it's upon this rock. That's this word rock, Peter in Greek. It literally sounds like the word rock. Jesus is using wordplay on his name. It speaks to Peter's role in the future. If you've read the book of Acts, if not, you could turn a couple books of your Bible to the right. You'd be able to read it. You'll see Peter, he's going to ascend as this beautiful church leader. And Jesus is talking about his role in that. It's this prophetic future, even though he knows what awaits as Peter will deny him at the cross. Here's what you need to know. The rock that the church is built on is the profession that Jesus Christ is the son of the living God. And then what does Jesus promise? He says, from that, what will he do? And I will come and I will build my church. If you're a believer in Christ, you are a church leader. You are a church pastor. You are a missionary. This should give you great comfort knowing Jesus Christ takes responsibility for building his church. And it's his. But this word church, I love this, because this would have been totally new to the disciples. These Jewish disciples would have been totally new. They'd never heard that word before. This word in Greek, it literally meant um, ekklesia. It's a gathering or an assembly of called out ones. It's Jesus saying to this group, I'm going to create a community of people who know that I am the Christ, who know that I am the son of the living God. It's this call to this community we call church. It's amazing too, because this word church, and, and you see this throughout your Bible, it has these layers. There's two specific layers. There's church universal, church local. Here's what I mean by universal. Church universal is what Jesus, in its broadest context, that's what he's speaking to here. He's saying, those who believe in me, those who know me, every tribe, every tongue, every nation, those who gather across our globe today, online, in person, wherever they are, those who believe in Jesus Christ, we are God's church. He died for me in it. He died for you in it. It's a people. It's a people who believe. And then what happens, that local part? You see this especially filled out in the rest of Scripture. Jesus is going to come, and he's going to die for his church, die for his people. He's going to rise from the grave, granting them freedom. He's going to walk the earth for 40 days, and he's going to ascend to the right hand of the Father. Before he ascends, he gives that commission we talked about. Go. And then you see its fulfillment, especially all throughout the book of Acts. What happens? Church plant after church plant after church plant after church plant. Local churches building the beauty of the universal church. The way I think about the two, you could use mosaic, you could use picture. I think about it in terms of a tapestry. 
like this beautiful woven tapestry where you don't fully understand the whole picture. That is the universal church. And what's our role? We are one thread. One thread that is meant to be divinely beautiful, divinely healthy, divinely holy, that goes and tells the world, you can join the tapestry, you can join the picture. He wants to redeem your life the same way he redeemed mine. Jesus is building this community. I will build my church. But then he gives this almost warning as he goes to build it. He says, in the gates of hell, the Bible may say Hades, the gates of hell will not prevail against it. I wonder if the disciples in that moment, as soon as Jesus says, I'm going to build this church, and like, wait, this new community of faith. I wonder if after that, they almost thought about, it's going to prevail. That means problems are going to come. That means opposition will be here. Here's what Jesus is speaking to. And again, we're going to move quickly. There's a lot of things to this. Jesus is speaking to the gates of hell. Jews there, they would have fought in terms of death. Jesus speaking to his own death, he will overcome it. The reality of death and sin in this world, he will overcome that for those who believe. Who are those who believe? It's his church. It's this promise. The church will overcome. Does that mean the Springs Community Church and our one thread will always overcome? No. No. God has used faithful churches, and as they drift towards faithlessness, he removes them righteously. Our job, he does look to use the faithful, the obedient, the humble, and the lowly in heart that say, you're God, you're looking to use somebody, use us, use me, let's go. He wants to use that. But it's not a promise that Springs Community Church will always overcome. This is a promise that is true church will overcome. Does it have implications for us here locally? Absolutely. It's this promise to help. It's amazing, though, because what would Jesus overcome? Death. What was his death lead to? These disciples that he's talking to. Many of them would then go and die on behalf of that faith. Face opposition, but you will overcome. Here's this promise. If you're watching this and you're a believer in Jesus Christ, the church of God, his people, until he comes back, we, by his power, will overcome. You could go back and you could trace this throughout history, throughout time. I'm going to make it more specific here. Rising unemployment, the loss of loved ones to COVID or not to COVID, the wanting to go and visit to see how will the church respond when the whole nation is becoming more polarized, more divided through this? Will the church overcome his true church will. The church will overcome. Does that take away from the grief, the pain, or the sorrow of things in this life? No. The last thing I would ever want to do is minimize that. There's been real tragedy. But what is also true, even specific to COVID-19, has there been redemptive beauty Absolutely. Are there lessons that God's teaching and lessons that we as his people are learning? Absolutely. But again, does that take away the pain? No. But does it remind us that in the midst of that, there is a sense of hope and God has not abandoned, he will not abandon, and he's doing something in and through this? Yeah. 
That's this beautiful promise, in, even in Christianity, where God doesn't waste pain. We can. He doesn't. So guys, here's what I want to show you. With that promise is this foundation. The church will overcome. Not because of anything good in us. Not because of anything good in me. Not because of anything good or righteous in you. But because he builds it. Because he empowers it. Because he died for it. Because he loves it. Church will overcome. And this is a lesson worth learning. This is a lesson we are learning. This is a lesson I am learning. With that, I, I want to share with you guys six principles Six ways or six thoughts that I've just seen through COVID-19, not taken away from the pain, but how God has instructed his church, how God has grown his church, how the church has been seen to overcome. Does that mean the church has done it perfectly? No. Does that mean that the Springs has done it perfectly? No. But is God overcoming? Is there prevailing? Yes. Let me share with you some of those, because this is the part, guys. This is the lesson we're learning. This is the part that even in the midst of it, it's not over. This is what we must instruct the soul. This is how you transform, how you answer the question. What do you think of when you think of church? Is this what you think of? Here's some thoughts that I've got. The church is a people. Is that what you think of? The church is a people. See, a lesson worth learning, a truth that we are overcoming, is COVID-19 has shown the church was never closed. We are not an event. We are not a building. We are a people of God. Do we have to be in person to worship? No. Can we get after it regardless? Yes, I've loved this, getting to see this truth, getting to see how so many of us, man, when COVID-19 first came and social distancing came, this truth of, okay, we got to change everything. We can't stop. We keep going. How many hours have you spent on Zoom, FaceTime, Skype, not just for work, but those of you who are connected here, or even if you're in another church, connecting with the people of God? It's this thought that we finally get to show the world we're not something that happens Sunday morning. We are people who simply believe he is the Christ. He is the son of the living God. We instruct ourselves and we tell others. What else has it taught us? It's taught us that the church is a people. It's also taught us the church. It's a community. I love that. Even from the passage here where Jesus calls it this, this ecclesia, this gathering, intrinsic in that is you're not alone I came across an article that said that there was a number one um, uh, life support and life help hotline in Los Angeles. From February 14th to the end of April, the frequency of their calls, the number of calls, the number of people reaching out, it had grown by 8,000%. Why? Isolation is real. Fear is real. Worry is real. And what is true of the church? It's this community. You and I are not meant to go it alone. From the moments where I've had doubt, worry, financial anxiety, the moments where you've stressed about the physical health or the job, or you lost the job and you turn, I pray that a lesson you've been learning is you've seen how the people of God have come, how they've cared. Guys, this is the only church worth being a part of. What's another one that we're seeing? 
I love this. The church is a family. We worked through the book of Ephesians, I think, two years ago. And in that, we taught this, this sermon that said the church is not like a family. The church is a family. One of the most amazing things of COVID-19 was how, under the financial duress, it led to us teaching on how do we respond as a church. You can go back and listen to it, but we taught on Acts 4, verse 32, and we specifically created a 432 financial relief fund. It was a financial ministry that's meant to care for and support members of our body in financial duress. Guys, in the midst of a downturn economy, people losing jobs, unemployment rates, in the midst of fear and worry, what do people have a tendency to do? Hold on to resources in fear. Folks have given just under $20,000, folks from this body, to help other members of this body. Who does that? People who believe he's the Christ. He's the son of the living God. People who understand the definition of emergency fund doesn't just extend to their own immediate family, but beyond. The church is a family. It's this beautiful provision that you know it's not me versus the world. It's Christ in me with us that we move forward in the world. The church is a family. Do you see how it's this theme? It's this promise. The church will overcome. Fourth one that I've seen the church is on mission. I've loved seeing this. The church is on mission. Not only do we look out for our own, but we look out for our community. We look out for our neighbors, the people who believe, the people who don't believe. Whether that be everything from coming, and even as a church, partnering with Comal County Cares and not knowing how much financial resource our body gave to that to support members. All the way to, I was talking with a friend in these uh, happy birthday parades where because of social distancing, you can't go to a birthday party anymore. So now it's been beautiful. You can like get on YouTube, watch videos. You like start crying, right? But her neighborhood, which is predominantly full of Christians, but not only, her neighborhood, they started finding out whose birthdays it was. And they would bring the kid out and these parades started to grow. Where from the start to where now these parades have grown, where the whole community is getting involved to where kids know you're noticed, you're loved, and you're not forgotten. You think they'll remember this? They started with small parades. Now, every parade is being led by a fire truck, then a police car, and then countless cars. So much so, she talked about how the kid, by the end, they're tired of like standing there and being polite and just waving to the cars because there's so many and they want to go inside. We are on mission. We get creative to love and to serve the Ernest Community Group who went to the Comal County Crisis Center, who in the midst of this, what's happening? They're expanding why there's greater need and they help build floors. They got to see people socially distanced. They wanted to love and serve. So many of you logged on to Amazon Wishlist for connections in St. Jude's uh, Children's Facility up in Canyon Lake. And you gave, why? We love our neighbor even when you can't shake your neighbor's hand. We love our neighbor even when socially distanced breeds a sense of isolation. Why? That is what Jesus Christ did for us. He came, he pursued, and he served. The church is on mission. Do you see how there's tremendous pain in COVID-19? I'm not taking away from that, but because of the empowerment of God, church will over come. It's our responsibility to stay faithful. Let's look, let's look at two more of these. Two more. I love this one. The church 
is innovative. The church is innovative. I love that. We, we've talked in the beginning, our mission has not changed, but our methods have changed. One of the amazing things that I loved, even the start of COVID-19, we did not have to just change what we do Sundays, right? The virtual gathering, how do we worship, and how do we um, corporately teach the word? How do we praise God? How do we gather together online? We didn't just have to change Sundays. We had the privilege of having to change Mondays, Tuesdays, Wednesdays, Thursday mornings, not to mention every one of you who's actively involved in the community group having to figure out how do we gather and connect and spur one another on with Zoom. I talked with one community group, and it was amazing because before COVID-19, I think they did what tragically so many can have a tendency to do. They kind of took community group for granted a little bit. It was like, okay, I know I'm supposed to go, but I'm not really in. And then COVID-19 came, and there's all this relational separation for them, for me, for everyone. And what it led to was a sense of, man, I can't wait to meet. And they shared how. They don't think their community group has ever been healthier. Why do we do that? Because we innovate. Methods change. Mission doesn't. I I love thinking of my friends, um, the Boyds, the Smiths, and then other families who through this just thought about, man, I want to see people, and I want to laugh, and I want to have fun. And they got on Zoom, and they started creating these family challenges. I personally, I lost at bingo. There was bingo night. There was a scavenger hunt. There was a kid's chopped competition. Why? There's real love, real connection, because what are we a part of? A church that overcomes, a people that says he is the Christ. He is the son of the living God. The church is innovative. These are lessons that we are learning. Final one. Final one. Church, the people of God, is a work in progress. It's a work in progress. One of the ways that while God is overcoming, one of the things that's true is this whole situation, the language I would use is it has really exposed the church is exposed, right? It has exposed the beautiful things, the faithful ways, the generosity, the commitment to faithfulness, the gathering, the not forsaking, the assembly, the encouraging one another, the heart to wake up and spend time with God. And it's exposed. The cracks in the marriage, that when you're around each other constantly, you realize it's not so much of a crack and it needs to be dealt with. The strained relationships, when you're around your kids, you realize perhaps there's one kid that you don't really connect with and you don't know how. The sense of your singleness and the isolation, it being far more deep, far more crippling than what you want. The reality of us turning to in fearful times to broken and bad habits, it's it's exposed that. It's exposed this root of so many of us of financial security as being the main security. And while we say it's God, we really only say that as long as the bank account sits here. It's exposed that. It's exposed how so many of us, we used to say in the past, man, I want to spend time and read with God. I want to connect with God, but I just don't have time. My schedule, it's too full. It's too busy. And then you got time. And your schedule wasn't too busy. And the truth was, you didn't really want to. The church will overcome the gates of hell, death itself, pain and tragedy comes. But what's true is we are still a work in 
progress. This is where we rejoice because we have the help of God himself. He builds it. He strengthens it. It's been beautiful to see how families fight for faithfulness. It's been beautiful to see how fathers begin to disciple the home for the first time. It's been beautiful to see how husbands and wives connect. It's been beautiful to see how roommates decide to pursue the things of holiness and hold one another accountable. It's been beautiful to see how the church responds. But what's still true, we have ways to go. I have ways to go. What anchors this, guys? In the midst of COVID, here's why I'm sharing this. I'm sharing this because COVID is helping the church get better. That's not to say there's not suffering. That's not to say that even as I say that to you, it doesn't make you angry and you think I'm invalidating some pain or avoiding the difficulty of the tragedy or the suffering. Not taken away from that. But what has God always promised to do through difficulty, through suffering, to strengthen his people. The gates of hell won't prevail. That's true of his global church. He wants that to be true of the springs, and by the grace of God, I've seen it to be increasingly so. But as we're on that mission, we, we are a people. We are a family. We are innovative. We are on mission. And we are still a work progress. Here's what I want to ask you guys to do as you sit at home, as you spend time with one another. Once this breaks, as you go to gather or you move towards lunch, talk about it. Talk about how have you seen the beauty of God's people prevail? How have you seen God's people be perhaps a discouragement in your life or others? And then talk about how you cannot do that. If you're not connected to a local church, if you're not part of an ecclesia a gathering, an assembly. If there's one that you know well and you love, we encourage you, go all in there. If you don't have that, reach out. We would love to serve, partner, shepherd, and disciple you. He builds it, and we labor on his behalf. Guys, church will overcome it doesn't mean there's anything amazing in us. It doesn't mean there's not problems. There's not difficulty. There's not tragedy. But it's this truth that he builds it. The gates of hell won't prevail against it. I love that because this is a lesson worth learning. This is something that springs. And right now I'm speaking to our people. We can't miss this lesson. We must grasp this. In Christ church will overcome. It's been amazing to see how, for example, community groups of people have come around, single moms in this body, support, to care, to give. It's been amazing to see how Kim Francis, a member, has mobilized not just the Springs, but churches across this city to get in the game in love, in word, in deed. Why? He's the Christ. He is the son of the living God. It's been amazing, even through Monday night regeneration ministry, gathering virtually, folks coming with tremendous pain, brokenness, substance abuse, cutting, difficulties in the past, coming and saying, I've understood more of how he's the Christ. He's the son of the living God, and he used this to transform my life. It's been amazing to see small business owners come 
and talk about the difficulty of everything from furloughing employees to loss of revenue, but to say, he is the Christ. He is the son of the living God. It's been amazing for our partner here, McKenna, to come and say, hey, we've seen what your heart is. We've seen what you want to do. We don't just want to partner with you for the short term. We want to partner with you for the long term. It's been amazing to see couples who've prayed for the privilege and the gift of children receive and the love and the support. It's been amazing for me in my own life, my community group, to have gathered virtually and then for the first time this past week, outside, chairs spread apart, to get to look and see faces in person, friends that I love, and help me pursue faithfulness. It has been amazing because Christ is the son of the living God to see how it has wanted to strengthen in my soul a more beautiful, a more fun, a more faithful marriage in my own house. Does it mean problems won't keep coming? No, this is a lesson we're learning. But what is the promise of Jesus Christ? Church will overcome. Springs, our job is to be faithful. It has been a joy to run towards faithfulness with the members of this body through this time. I can't wait to keep going. Good times and the bad. Church will overcome. Let me pray. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the truth that you made us a called out people. That you came and you defeated death. That you came, that you overcame the grave. And by faith, we receive that. I don't have to be better. I have to believe. Lord, I pray that as you go to and fro, searching throughout the earth, those whose hearts that are fully yours, you would land here. Your people, this church. Make us more faithful. Make us more holy. Make us more tender. Make us more kind. Make us more bold. Make us more of yours. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Guys, again, if you wouldn't mind, please take the next two minutes, try and find that survey, fill that out. If you can't fill it out, reach out to us at info at springsandbead.org and we'll send it to you directly. Thank you all for joining. You'll have a great week of worship. We'll see you next week in person or virtually. Love y'all.